0: listening to the pharmacy podcast network
1: pizza is not working podcast here to serve you up a nice hot slice of some pharmacy pizza pie. I'm your host, Dr. Candice Olushala, and this is episode one. I am so excited that you are listening to this show. It is on behalf of the latest powerful pharmacy advocacy movement, hashtag pizza is not working. You might be asking yourself, what is the hashtag pizza is not working movement anyway? I'm so glad you asked. The hashtag pizza is not working movement is a pharmacy advocacy movement with a mission to improve corporate pharmacy operations by empowering pharmacy workers, collaborating with legislative bodies and mobilizing advocates nationwide. This movement was started by Oklahoma City pharmacist, Dr. Bled Tanaway, and she posted on August 7th, 2021 on her social media, a post about the mistreatment and the abuse going on in the world of retail pharmacy. The pandemic had overly exaggerated issues that were already going on in retail. But retail was keeping a low radar on all the things that were going on behind the counter. We'd been seeing these things for years, for decades. And it was the pandemic that really exacerbated the issues that we were facing as pharmacists, technicians, and the likes behind the counter. So this podcast is on behalf of that movement. And since last August, we have been trying to raise our voices together to bring awareness to this public health crisis that has been going on long before we ever heard the words COVID-19 pandemic in the world. This movement is not just For the public at large, it's not just for the patient, it's also for the workers behind the counter. This is for everyone. This is for everyone who is impacted by healthcare in this nation, and especially through the lens of retail pharmacy. So, this particular podcast is for the pharmacy worker, the healthcare professional, the political personality, and even the patient or those that have family and friends who go to retail pharmacies who are not pleased with where healthcare is going as it pertains to the role of retail pharmacy chains. And that includes independent pharmacies as well, because this topic, this conversation is affecting all the pharmacy workers, whether you're in retail or not. It affects all of us. It's for those who see the public health crisis that America is in because of what's going on behind the counter and it's for those who want to help remedy the pharmacy profession and get the nation to a space where we get to take back our health care. So if this is something that is important to you Subscribe to this podcast and let's go on this journey together to really gain back the health of our nation. In case you didn't know, there is a documentary that has been recorded about this movement and what's going on in retail pharmacy in our country. And it's called the Would You Like Shots With That? Documentary. The Fast Foodication of Pharmacy in the U.S., I just want to read a little bit about the backstory. Corporate chains like CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens have taken over community pharmacy, elbowing out patient focused independent pharmacies and forcing a retail sales environment. The chains ratcheted up a production of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians to a fast food pace, along with adding metrics for up sales and serving times. Unbeknownst to the general public, this has been going on behind the counter for decades, far from ideal, but manageable. But then COVID hit. More specifically, the COVID vaccines hit. Corporate chains took on the responsibility of vaccinating the nation, skyrocketing the workload but ignoring the staffing needs required to get the job done safely and effectively. Now, pharmacies across the country are facing unsafe conditions for both pharmacy workers and patients. The pharmacy community has been longing for someone to do a long-form piece that exposes the realities of pharmacy. This is precisely what we're here to show, a change with our film. So if you want to know more about how to follow this documentary and even support financially, you can find a link in the show notes for more information. It wouldn't be an appropriate start to the podcast without giving a formal shout out to the founder of this movement, Dr. Bled Tanaway. Bled, you have done such amazing work and the responsibility that you took on for just putting out a hashtag, noticing the response across the nation for what was going on and and the words that you put together to express the truth. The way that you just took that on and you have made this into such a beautiful family, not just in the United States, but even with our friends across the ocean in the UK, and then even bordering us in Canada, we thank you. You deserve this shout out we would not be here even doing this podcast we wouldn't be making a documentary we wouldn't be having the voices of healthcare professionals literally across the globe getting to speak out about the truth of what's going on in retail pharmacy how It's affecting not just those of us who have worked behind the counter, but also the patients at large. And everyone is affected in such a negative way that we need our voices to come together. So thank you for being the glue. Thank you for continuing this movement. And we are behind you 100%. We stand together in this movement. Up next is a fiery interview that I had the pleasure of doing with Dr. Jessica Mills. She is a pharmacist and a naturopath who works in her independent family-owned pharmacy in my hometown, Owensboro, Kentucky. Her goal is to help people truly heal, educate, and empower her patients to keep control of their health and be a resource to all who come to her pharmacy. She takes the time to unpack The concept of the pressure to diversify services offered in pharmacies, as well as talks about PBMs, the RICO investigations, and DIR fees, which you'll get to hear her explain in further detail in this conversation. So, Jess, what pharmacy topic did you want to unpack for us today?
0: Oh, there's so much. Um, Mostly what I wanted to focus on is what I feel like almost every patient is not aware of, and that's who is really pulling the strings behind everything Um, and who is setting the prices for copays, who's really driving up the cost of healthcare in America, who's dictating what gets prescribed and what doesn't, Um, who's telling your doctor what you can and can't have and what medications you need to be on, who is making sure that my industry of independent pharmacy is not sustainable and who's trying to capture an entire market. Um, And they are also the same people that are causing the hashtag pizza is not working to be a hashtag in the first place, like just ruining my profession and not really focusing on patient care and not really doing anything except for just making money. Man, I hope I don't lose a contract after this. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? Um, But a lot of it and like just the control that they have, like from every aspect, whether you're a, a prescriber and a doctor, whether you're a pharmacist, whether you're a patient, like they control everything at this point. So if if we're really truly not happy and, you know, it keeps being brought up healthcare reform and what needs to happen for rising drug prices. um, Let's look at the people that are actually running the show and see if there's a reason that it is the way that it is. And then what you can actually do to help and, and what other people are doing in this industry to be able to try and actually help that.
1: Ooh, this is, yeah, this is good. This is good. I, the, the country needs to be aware of this because it. I think people are seeing things happening. They're frustrated with the whole system, but they're not quite clear as to all the strings that are attached from mul- multiple angles and right. who's the puppeteer of all of this. Right. So yeah, from your perspective, you're an independent pharmacy owner. So mm-hmm. why? as an independent pharmacy owner does this even matter to you if it's you know the the big pharma that's what most that's what we hear from most of our patients like oh it's big pharma taking over but how is this entire conversation even impacting you and other independent pharmacy owners like yourself
0: so my parents bought, um, they were part of a franchise medicine shop, which was like, a it's kind of like a McDonald's or a Burger King, like other franchises. Um, but it was the medicine shop and they were in that from 1985 to 2005. And then 2005, they went fully independent. Um, I worked in the pharmacy, like my whole life. I, I think at my first day, I was like three days old whenever they brought me in in my little pumpkin seat. Um, and so for me, like I grew up knowing and seeing like how my parents were able to help all of the patients that they had and their relationships and, and just those really, really cool things that you do get to see in pharmacy. Um, because a lot of times with access to primary care, people don't really have the ability to just walk into a doctor's office and be like, hi, look at me, this, something's wrong. Tell me what to do to fix it. Um, but that's what they would do all day long. And it was never, it was never like for the money. Um, there was never a ton of reimbursements. Like I grew up And I'm 34, so I grew up not really remembering people in the 90s talking about drug prices like before all these insurance companies and everything else, like it was not really an issue that the big pharma thing. So pharma is going to be like, who's making the drugs, like the manufacturers, like the Pfizer's and Eli Lilly's and all that stuff. And then you have like this other little middlemen section and they're the PBMs. And so PBM is going to stand for a pharmacy benefits manager and how they sell. And then you also have payers. So you got like PBMs payers, and then you've got like pharma who's making stuff. Um, the payers is like your blue cross blue shield of whatever. Um, And so with that, when you've got these payers, they needed a way to negotiate drug pricing and to make sure that the cost didn't go crazy. So what we've had is a whole system of pharmacy benefits managers. They don't see any patients. They don't dictate any kind of care. I mean, they they tell you what they'll pay for, um, but they're really the people that negotiate like what drugs are on that payers list. Who needs to do it? And then pharma and and them are kind of fighting right now anyway. Um, But pharma, like big pharma, when you hear that, it's going to be mostly like who's making the medications and and that whole group of entities like Pfizer and Glasgow, SmithKline and all of them. Um, So the ones that are really pulling the strings is going to be like there's the FDA, which is the regulatory agency um, of, you know, what gets approval, what doesn't. And that takes a lot of money. So that's why pharma's got a ton of money because it takes like $40 million to get a drug, you know, approved in the United States. Um, So for us, it's really mostly focusing on the pharmacy benefit managers because they're truly the middleman situation. They don't really provide any services or any care. um, And they have such a lack of transparency. So in independent pharmacy, we've always been like a cost plus model. And you'll hear that now because like Mark Cuban opened this like cost plus pharmacy, right? And I love, I wish that like we all had $10 million to throw into advertising. Um, But like your independent mom and pops have been doing this ever since forever and ever. Amen. So with it, why we care about it, our reimbursement is set by the PBMs. So the PBMs say, okay, to the payer, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Um, you know, for your employees, if they want a flu shot, it's going to cost you $90 for each one of your employees that gets a flu shot. Meanwhile, they're paying the pharmacy, maybe 30 bucks. Um, And what's crazy is, is that the medicine, the shot itself cost us $27. So we might make like $3 on giving a shot to somebody. Um, But the PBM, because they didn't tell the payer that it was actually only 30 bucks that they were going to pay, they keep that other 50. So that's called the spread and that spread pricing that is hidden um, and it's legally protected. There are no laws in place. I mean, they're trying really hard um, to get some laws in so that transparency or the ability to see how much drugs actually cost and how much people are actually being paid for. So for us, if you've got 150 shots in, you know, a week or two that you're stopping, checking prescriptions, going out, giving shots to people, making sure that their therapy is okay, that they're not sick right now, monitoring them for any kind of side effects, making sure that everything's good. And you're doing that for just $3. Um, And that's if you get paid. So some of them, it was 30 cents is what we got paid. Um, With Tricare, which is like what the PBM is that has all of the veterans. Um, There's not an independent pharmacy that they're gonna be able to go to next year because the Tricare contracts, they stated, and they sent us this contract that said that what we have to pay for brand drugs, like your insulins and chinuvias and, and different multiple brand products, so there is no generic available yet, that for all of those, we will be losing at least 5% of what we have to buy it for. So if we if it cost us $400, they're going to pay us about 8% less than what we had to pay for it. Um, and then for generic drugs, they're doing that minus about 50%. And I can't give you the actual official numbers because that would be a contract violation um, to where they could kick me out of their network. And TRICARE is ran by Express Scripts, which is a very, very large, it's one of the big three. So there's like three players in the space and it's CVS Caremark, Um, it's Express Scripts, which runs TRICARE and then there's Aetna, there's all kinds of them. Um, All of your retired teachers, all of your military, your state workers, anyone like on disability, anybody that has like Medicare All of them are really pretty much managed by big three. And then the third biggest one is Optum. Um, And then in Kentucky, we've got Humana, which has got a lot of lives here in the state. So they set the reimbursement. So if you walk into a pharmacy and you need your brand inhaler um, for your COPD, emphysema, what have you, um, and your copay is $99, the pharmacy had no way of setting that. We have to charge you by law what the copay said, and that's set by that PBM company. And so we're losing money at the same time because it's a brand medicine. So for all of us in independent pharmacy, there is no no reimbursement, like it's not a sustainable model. We are losing money on at least 75% of the prescriptions that we run through. So for you to come in, get your prescription medications for us to counsel you, make sure that it's safe, make sure that like, this is a good fit for you. um, Look for coupons if we can, all of it, there, there's no payment for it. And we actually lose money on it. So, um, the denying of access to my patients, like I've, I've seen my parents take care of these people and their families. We're on our sixth generation of patients at this point. And now, because, you know, they were a veteran, they serve this country and they have TRICARE for insurance. I can't take care of them. Um, and they have to either drive to the VA or they have to do mail order. The problem with getting your medicines mailed to you is it's hot outside. It's real hot right now. Um, in the winter, it's real cold, like welcome to it. We live in a place that has seasons in Kentucky. So with it, we have to make sure in the pharmacy that our temperature stays between like 55 and like 80 something degrees um, or else like we have to notify them all the drugs that we have in our storage. We would have to throw them away. So even when like the power's out due to ice storms, like we're in here making sure that like the medicines are still warm. We'll take them where we need to put them. So like insulate them, do whatever we can. Um, same thing with like vaccines, they have to stay in that refrigerated thing. Our refrigerators have monitors that beeps and it sends us a text message and tells us like, Hey, one of your drugs isn't being stored correctly. And it's like an emergency drop what you're doing, leave your kids baseball game and go. Um, what's crazy to me is that there's like diabetic strips and diabetic testing monitors and insulin and like temperature controlled medications that if they get above a certain amount of heat or cold, they don't work. And so is that happening? Like if they just, if the mailman left your Genuvia um, at your front door and the sun's been shining on it all day and we're in Kentucky where it's 102 degrees that day, is that medicine gonna work for you? And so that's what I don't like to see happen is like substandard care being delivered. And it's all based upon these companies. And so what's weird is that these PBMs, they own their own pharmacies. So the mail order pharmacy that you're getting that from, the pharmacist doesn't know you, the tech doesn't know you, Um, They don't know your doctor's office. They can't work on emergencies. You're beholden to the mail. But the main problem is, is that you're not receiving the care that you need. We don't know if your meds are going to work. So when you do go to your doctor's appointment next time and your A1C is still too high, or your glucose is still up because your blood sugar is high, your diabetic medicine didn't work for you, then at that point, they're just going to increase the dose when the whole time you could have just been able to go to a pharmacy, but your insurance company would rather pay their pharmacy than pay mine for delivering you substandard care and medicines that may or may not work. So that's that's kind of why we care in a nutshell is I went to school, I worked really hard and I also love my patients and wanna make sure that they get the best care that they do truly deserve. And right now the insurance companies that are causing the same crazy conditions, I mean, a girl died as a pharmacist, like hashtag she waited. Um, Those same people that are setting these metrics that are not obtainable, that are all about money instead of patient care, are the same ones that are putting us out of business. So that they don't have any of us to compete with. Like our service stands on its own. We know you. And it's absolutely so sad when my friends and when my family says, I can't come to your pharmacy because my insurance won't pay. Like in any other industry or organization, that would be a violation of antitrust and, you know, Stark law and all these different like anti-competitive monopoly things. But I mean, big pharma does, pay for a third of the spending of our government right now for lobbying. They are the largest lobbyers. Have you ever watched TV without seeing a drug ad? Um, so to me, it's it's one of those things that like, there's one to three companies that are really big that are pulling all the strings and the level of care and the amount of copays pays and how expensive it is for people out here. Um, it's just insane. And like we're here and we're ready and we want to help, but we can't get paid for it. So that's why we care.
1: Man, this, this sits so heavily with me, just, you know, with having a public health background, this was something I constantly talked about working at Walgreens, the number of patients who already struggle with even getting to a pharmacy, which then you hear, well, that's what mail order is for. And, you know, there, it's really more complicated than that. One, Mm -hmm. a lot of these communities, you have patients who want to know who they're seeing. They want to know them. They don't want them to just be a company name or just some Joe Schmo on a piece of paper that they got in the mail and saying, oh, by the way, this person is taking over. They as a person have a right to say who their provider is. So why wouldn't they have the right to also say, who their pharmacist is, who their pharmacy right. team would be helping them manage their care day to day. And these these mail order companies, these mail order pharmacies are oftentimes even just sending them medications before they ever need it, like days. And I mean, sometimes yeah. close to a month in advance. And the number of patients where they were coming to our pharmacy getting all of their medications, and then all of a sudden, one, two, half, all of their medications have to go through the mail order pharmacy and they have no idea why. They just bring a letter and they're like, I got this letter and now I'm not allowed to get this medication from you guys. I have to get them from some random pharmacy that I've never heard of. And then all of a sudden they're like, now I feel like I'm losing my mind. I have six vials of insulin and I don't know how this happened. And I can't Mm -hmm. call the pharmacy. I can't call the pharmacy because they had me on hold forever. And I don't know how to turn it off. I don't know how to make it stop because I'm not Mm -hmm. changing how I'm taking my meds, but now I have so many. And then, Oh, my doctor changed everything. So now I have like eight vials of medication and I don't need it. And I didn't ask for it and they sent it all early. And I don't, this is too much. Like what is going on? So it leaves a lot of people confused. It leaves a lot of people frustrated. It leaves us frustrated that are in person that could literally facilitate this within minutes, you Mm -hmm. know, and knowing that there are so many, well, there's not a lot. There's only really those big three key players that are manipulating the system in their favor for their pockets mm-hmm. it's just for money yeah it's money because at the end of the day like you guys aren't getting paid as independent pharmacy workers and even just pay for workers just right your pay your salary salaried hourly that it's not adding up the numbers aren't making sense the hours worked plus the dollars made they're not correlating for right. us at all and for
0: us like, I would love because CVS and, and Walgreens and a lot of these like chain pharmacies. Typically, when you go in, they're now having their pharmacists work like drive through. So that pharmacist is having to like check and verify prescriptions and make sure that there's no drug interactions. And like, this is the best therapy for you and everything's good. And whoever put this in, put it in correctly at the same time that they're waiting on someone at the drive-thru, like imagine doing like brain surgery and handing someone something out of drive-thru at the same time. Cause that's essentially what you're asking these pharmacists to do. And it's solely because they have like one pharmacist and maybe one to two techs, and they limit the amount of help that you can get based off of how many prescriptions that are being filled. And there's no, like, I mean, some states have like a ratio of how many texts to pharmacists, but it's, you know, usually you can't have too many techs that are doing stuff unsupervised. That's never the problem. The problem is, is that they employ one to two people to fill 1700 prescriptions a day. We have a staff of 16 people and we fill maybe 200 like, and, and we're busy, so for us, like, yes, heck yes, I want to give my people like $15 an hour, absolute minimum. Yes, I want to be able to do these clinical enhanced services and take care of everyone. I can't do it when I'm making 20 cents on a furosemide prescription, which is what you sent. Now your copay is, you know, $10, but $9 and 80 cents of that just got taken back from me in a DIR fee and it goes to the actual PBM. Um, and DIR fees, we can unpack that a little bit, but it's, it's absolutely insane. And so every disability, every Medicare person that has a part D plan or a Medicare advantage plan, that's who these DIR fees come in on. And so there's no reason, like it's $10 and 64 cents is how much it, it costs in labor and supplies and rent and lights and everything, utilities to be able to like per prescription, that's how much a pharmacy needs to make to be able to be sustainable is an extra $10 and 64 cents. I've been in this since, I mean, I was born in 87, but I've been working in my parents' pharmacy the whole time. And I remember we used to make like 15 to $20 on each prescription and like life was good and we could pay the rent and pay the bills and everything else. Um, this whole inflation thing that's going on. A five percent inflation will actually cut down the amount of like profit that you can make by fifty percent. And so it's been nine point five, and now I think it's like eight point seven or eight point five or something like that. I know they were doing like a victory lap for like, woo, it went down. Um, But for us, like, there's no way to make this sustainable. So I just got done speaking at two conferences for other pharmacists, and like the vibe in the room is we know that there is no money in dispensing medications in America anymore. The whole plan essentially of anybody that's in there is can we do point of care testing like rapid flus and rapid streps and COVID testing? Can we do vaccines? Because Medicare did put out like a, you're going to get paid $30 for giving any of these shots. Like that's what the new Medicare rate is. Um, And so we're looking at ways to diversify what we are. Like every pharmacy is trying to become an urgent care at this point um, because there's no money in dispensing medications. And these companies, I mean, we're just at their mercy. There is no contracting. There's nothing that we can do um, even though there's more still independent pharmacists in the state of Kentucky than there are chain pharmacies. So even though we're the largest out here, you know it's just versus the world, versus you know, and then the other person who runs it down the street, it's them versus the world, and you're standing up against these national corporations that you know buy a third. I'm sorry, um, spend a third of the money um, in advertising and lobbying. So for us, you know, it's we want a sustainable model, um, and we want to be able to provide patient care. And there's no way to do that whenever, like, we're having to send patients away or tell them to do mail order instead, just so that they can still get their medications that are prescribed. And the doctors are having a fit too. like these companies, they control what your what medication you have to be on. And I know that you've done MTMs before, which is that medication therapy management. Um, A huge proponent of that is our is the patient on a cholesterol medicine. And it's because if they aren't, they, they have these little things. And it was from, I think, Obamacare when like 2012, when outcomes-based repayment was a thing. And it like the idea behind it was great, but these companies that control everything kind of shifted it. Um, and so now, like you have to take this one kind of cholesterol medicine, even if your numbers are okay, but if you have diabetes or something else, um, and they will take up to $10,000 away from your pharmacist, from your doctor, if you don't take it, even if you've had reactions to it. Like it's really gross. Um, and they're saying, you know, if they're diabetic and they've tried metformin, you know, five years ago and it didn't work, but now you have a new insurance. Well, this new insurance company, they want to make sure that you've tried metformin on their watch. And so you get to try it again. So you're wasting like, you know, at least 30 days trying a medication that's never worked or caused like permanent, really bad stomach pain for you. And like intestinal permeability issues, all because they don't want to have to pay like for Genuvia or for a medication that would actually benefit you that you've been on, that you've been stable on. And so the doctors aren't really liking the fact that they can't provide the patient care and the best medications to their patients, all based off of what an insurance company wants to pay. And um, I think I looked at it, CVS Caremark, they were making, I think it was $19,000 profit Every hour? Every hour? Every hour. No, it was more than that. I'm sorry. It was more than that. Um, I think it was, it was like 280 bucks a second is how much it was. But, um, for this whole, she waited thing. There was a pharmacist that was in Indiana. Um, and she called up whoever you call up at CVS. I was there, but didn't stay. um, and basically she was like, Hey, I have chest pain. Like, I feel like I'm having a heart attack, something bad's going on. Um, and her manager person said, well, if you leave, then it's negligence and you're fired and don't have a job and we can report you and all the things. So she stayed and she died of a heart attack in the pharmacy. Um, which is absolutely insane. Like you should never have to go in and like be worried about having to give chest compressions to your coworker that just passed away because they weren't allowed to leave. So when I looked at it, because it was incredibly moving CVS for what they pay pharmacists, they could have, um, had 23,000 pharmacists cover that one hour. That's how much profit they made was to pay 23,000 pharmacists at the rate that we pay our pharmacists because independent pharmacies pay our people more. Um, like our technicians, our pharmacists, our everybody, um, we they could have paid for 19,000 pharmacists for that one hour that she should have been allowed to leave due to her medical emergency. And so the amount of money that they make in the very next day, the CEO of CVS Caremark goes on an earnings call and starts bragging about how much profit they had made to her shareholders. So like, it tells you everything that you need to know. Like, why is there a heart? Like the irony is that there's a heart on our logo. Can we talk about that? Mm. Um from like, you're literally stressing out these people so much with metrics that are unobtainable, like wait on the drive-through, but also check prescriptions. Also this one needs a COVID test and that one needs a vaccine. Like we had a CDS here and it's not the staff's fault. Like we all went to school. We all wanted to help people. We That's why we do what we do. It's not for money. It's not for notoriety. It's not for anything. We just want to help our people. And so, you know, they're putting you in this incredible position that no one's able to live up to. And it's surely just for money and they don't hire enough people to work um, to be able to, to do the job safely. And they're risking patient safety all for money. And like, they don't have any. So there's RICO investigations against them. Have you seen the RICOs? No, please unpack the RICO. What is okay. RICO? So and RICO is racketeering do? racketeering oh I wrote it down racketeering um influenced um and corporate corporate organization act yes Yes. so it's what they like what the government made and used to take down the mafia
1: which is hilarious like that's where Rico came
0: in yes this this is interesting (laughs) right so that's where it started so there have been RICO investigations, multiples against all three of the ones that we had talked about. All three of the PBMs, multiple RICO investigations, and what do they do? Write a check, send it off, and the federal government lets them stay in business. That's it. So, like, I'm just trying to imagine, like, in at one of our local like chain drug stores here, they mixed up and they accidentally gave a COVID vaccine for an adult to a child. Um, because that pharmacist and, you know, that it might've been a tech cause they, during COVID, they were like, anybody can give shots, go ahead, do it to it. It's fine. Um, they mixed up the flu vaccines and then the parents were getting COVID shots as well. So they gave a COVID shot to, I think a four-year-old and a five-year-old and both of them ended up in the emergency room and in the hospital with myocarditis. Um, I'm trying to imagine being a pharmacy still at that point, like what, where is the board of pharmacy? Where is like the patient's you know, lobbying, like, where is patient safety in this? Where is good outcomes in this? Because I haven't seen it. Um, and it's, I'm not throwing shade at anyone. Like, I understand COVID was crazy for everyone, for us in healthcare, just pray for us. We're not okay. Um, but basically, like, how do you how do you not hire people the next day when you notice that, like, those two little kids, like, they might have permanent heart injury for the rest of their life now? Um, and it was simply because they were understaffed and because those the staff that was there that did show up um they didn't you know have the support that they needed and they had impossible metrics so people's lives are being harmed um people are being hurt not just the pharmacists that are dying of a heart attack cuz they're threatened to not leave their work um but also the actual patients themselves and they were coming in to not get sick and now the kids are in the hospital so you know how they're still a, a Able to open doors i'll never quite understand um, with all the regulatory boards and that kind of stuff but they do write really big checks um so I guess that's that's how the regulatory agencies handle it is always fines but I know that if we made that mistake we wouldn't still be here so um it's hard to watch in healthcare when people are, are forcing Patients, because there's no other word for it, it is forcing, um, forcing them to go to a place where they don't have a choice in who their pharmacist is, who their provider is, um, you know, the quality of what's going on in the back. You know, did they get to check this, or were they too busy answering a question and giving a dog treat at the drive Um, You you see that, and you see the substandard care that's being given, and you see the substandard resources that are being provided to the people working at these organizations, and I mean they they bust up unions like you can't unionize in this you know whole thing and i don't know if that would even save anything at this point no one does um so it's just it's hard to be providing a better service in america and being forced out of business by someone who's doing less and making more
1: yeah this is yeah ooh this this is very irritating to know that money says that much at certain levels
0: mm-hmm.
1: while money is practically non-existent in other levels right and it just to be frank pharmacy has basically become slave labor that's what mm-hmm. it is it is slave labor you have people who went to school for a long time and like you said we we were taught to exercise our professional judgment our autonomy to make sure that the person in front of us that is entrusting us with their care gets the best care that we can provide them. And when we don't know, we rely on our colleagues and friends to team up and say, hey, I have questions. Can you help me make sure that this patient still gets what they need, right? And the fact that money and these very daunting, bogus, metrics have completely taken that from the world of pharmacy the lack of staffing the understaffing is ridiculous and the push right now to make it sound like it's just the pandemic's fault that has yeah there's not a shortage of
0: pharmacists
1: right no we're out here we're, we're out of here. here. We just
0: don't want to lose our license. And oh, so right. like, if you can't find an independent, I mean, how many people left during 2020 because of like the crazy metric. And so the metrics is like, you have to get, um, every voicemail every 15 minutes, like make sure that you clear out your voicemail queue or how many times did your technician type in take T-A-K-E instead of put T, um, like what short codes were used. And that's what these companies are using as metrics. Um, and how many flu shots did you give? And how many care passes did you sell? Cause if you don't sell 30, you can't work for us anymore. Um,
1: Walgreens so, is like, uh, they have this, it was literally the month that I was leaving. I think that they had implemented some kind of like Walgreens card for patients. And like, how many people mm-hmm. did you get to sign up for the card? That's a metric. Yeah. Or how many people did you get to do autofill? Mm-hmm. or how did how many patients did you get to do 90 days and if you don't meet a certain number or if you don't get them to sign up for the specific program someone comes into the building and they have a talk mm-hmm. with you the store manager the pharmacy manager the team you need to get it together and we're like there there are other things going on that are so much more important than getting 175 patients on this particular card like yep.
0: their life let's talk about and that. it's not and it's not even like that was one of the things in my rotation um for CVS I did like an administrative at my MBA at the same time as my pharmacist degree um which by the way we're doctors like it's not that we just went to school for a long time like we actually have doctorate degrees it was hard um and so for us like a lot of debt a lot of everything but um, I did a CVS rotation where we were like administrative. So we were like following around the district manager. And in Louisville, there was 19. And so every Friday, me and the other student that had that, our job was to call these stores that had low performing metrics. that so we called the low performing stores. Um, and we would tell them like, you need to empty out your voicemails sooner. You need to get rid of. And so they're having me say stuff like QT and QC. I've never worked there. I don't know what any of this means. So they have literal pharmacy students calling and berating these like actual pharmacists that have been practicing for 10 to 15 years. That was our assignment. And so one guy, he called me out on it and he was like, do you work here? And I was like, no, uh, like full disclosure. No, I have worked at my parents' pharmacy. Like I know nothing about girls' cues. And he was like, so you're telling me that CVS administration, my district leader and district manager is having a pharmacy student who knows nothing about CVS policies call me on a Friday and tie up 30 minutes of my time to tell me I'm not doing good enough. And he was like, so do you have any suggestions for improving? I was like, ah, go work for a hospital or an independent do right. clinical pharmacy. Like, yep. that's the only thing that I've got for you. And so he was like, well, that tells me everything. And I think he quit like literally the next week because wow. he's like, and this was 2014, 2013. Um, but no, like there's no, there's no metrics for public health like what is your a1c lowering and what is your you know blood pressure control look like and so for us we have um we just started doing a program through the university of kentucky and through the kentucky department of health and it's not something that we're getting paid for like they have like a little grant kind of thing to see if it's going to work but last week i sat through like a three-hour training and so what we're doing is we're trying to identify patients that have hypertension or high blood pressure but they don't know it. And so our target population, since we have a medical practice next door is parents that are coming in that are like 34, 35, um, you know, have kids and coming in for the well child check, but they themselves haven't been to a doctor for like five or six years, unless it's the, you know, OBGYN or something like that. And they're not checking blood pressures really there unless you are pregnant. So we're trying to identify that, but that's something that we're choosing to do because we feel passionate about it. That's not happening at grocery store pharmacies or at chain pharmacies or anywhere else. We're just doing it because we wanted to work with other people and we wanted to provide the best care that we possibly could. And if we've got someone, like they gave us cute little hearts and all the fun, you know, like visual models that we could show people and really being able to educate the amount of people that come in here that have a prescription for a glucose monitor and for testing strips. They don't even know that they just got diagnosed with diabetes. Like they have no idea. And they're like, well, what's the number supposed to be? Well, how do I use this? Like I've never done, and we don't get paid for that. And it's, you know, in Kentucky, we have a law that says that like, if a pharmacist provides this education, they the payers have to pay us that same rate that they would like a nurse practitioner or someone else. But the problem is like, all of us are too busy losing money on, Medications and dispensing it to really be able to do that. And then these payers were trying to get credentialed, and everyone's like, You're a pharmacist. We have no idea how to do that. Like, what what does this look like? So the system's not set up to be able to reimburse us for the services that we've always done for free. And now it's kind of hitting this fever pitch because people that aren't even our patients are walking in with blood glucose monitors and saying, I used to come to you guys. Now I have to do mail order, but I don't know how to use this. Can you show me how to do it? I don't even know if this machine's working. No one told me. And I'm like, Okay. Well, even if I could get paid for dispensing this product, which the insurance companies are taking that ability away. Now I can't even like bill your medical insurance to be able to teach you. So we're literally just doing it out of the kindness of our hearts. But in 2024, that's when you're going to see the majority of independent pharmacies shut down and it's because of those DIR fees which is direct and indirect remuneration. So Medicare was kind of like up on this and they were like wait, you guys are putting stuff on formulary because big pharma is giving you guys a rebate for it. Like if they put Genuvia on it instead of, you know, some other medicine, then the the makers of that Genuvia, the main company that makes it big pharma will give like a kickback. Now we can't do that because that's against the kickback law, but they can somehow because anyway. So whenever this is happening um, I was totally going somewhere with this, Candace. I was going somewhere really good,
1: <laughs> Where to go? but like, it's, Come
0: it's that thing of like emotions, like whenever you get so frustrated about something, um, but now and so Medicare DIR fees, there you go, Medicare was kind of up on this and they were like, wait, you guys are getting a rebate. So we're going to like charge you some money back. So they instituted this like five to 10% DIR fee that Medicare was getting back from like the PBMs and the payers and all that good stuff. these PBMs, they are not in a position to lose money. They don't do that. They make, you know, $180 a second. So at that point, um, they pass that on to us. Now, I don't know what the DIR fees are from Medicare to the payers still, but I can tell you that the DIR fees to independent pharmacies um, have increased by about 29,000 times in the last like 10 years. It used to be like five to 7%. They've already taken over $200,000 from us this year. And so we'll dispense something and your copay for your, you know, medicine might be like $90. They take 120 away from us. And like, we're not making any money at that point. And you don't know about it until three to six months later. Um, And they don't take money like out of your bank account. They just withhold it from you. So like all the future claims that you've billed. And so there's not really a good way to like find out who it is, which patient, Um, you know, we've adapted to where there's like one guy in independent pharmacy who's like, I know how to put it in. I'll plug it into your stuff based off, you know, your contracts that you signed. Um, I'll put that in so that you can see an estimate of how much it's going to be. But typically it's even more than the estimate and there's nothing that we can do about it. But federal government made that illegal um, starting in 2023. So what's going to happen is in 2024, they have to show that at the point of sale. Well, the insurance companies knew like, hey, this was gonna be a thing anyway. So that's why they started writing those terrible contracts like what TRICARE did. Um, And they're just taking all the money that they had in DIR fees. They're just showing you what that actually looks like on contract now. And everyone's like, oh, that's gross. No, I'm not gonna do that. Um, So it's gonna decrease patient access, especially for your people of like, you know, social determinants of health, vulnerable populations, elderly, like can't be driving, that whole thing. So what's going to happen is that in January and quarter one of 2024, we're going to have all these retroactive fees that we're still paying because they collect it three to six months later. And then we're also going to have these terrible reimbursement rates for the new contracts. And so like, there's not going to be any money like everyone's just going to go out of business. And so I have no idea what the first quarter of 2024 looks like. And so you have a whole profession that is trying to pivot right now um, and try to figure out like what cash services can I do or what, what can I do at this point to be sustainable and still be here. And so when Mark Cuban gets involved and Amazon gets involved, um, now it's like this cost plus model, but they don't take care of anyone that's under the age of 18. They can't do any pet meds. They don't do any narcotics. Um, The DEA just fully funded themselves again. So, you know, all those new IRS agents, there's new DEA agents now too. Um, and so if you happen to have pain, you know, how dare you um, and need medication for that. Now there's certain stuff like we're just dispensing the naloxone to everybody that's a pain patient. Um, One, because we actually educate and we want to improve access for that to prevent overdosing. Um, But two, like they're coming in and they're fining the heck out of everyone. They have sued everyone. Like the state of Kentucky just got $483 million when the DEA and the state of Kentucky sued all these different states got together and they sued McKesson, Cardinal and Amerisource. All that those people are, those are just warehouses where drugs are sitting and that's who sells their drugs to pharmacies. And so they were sued $26 billion collectively nationwide. And Kentucky's cut of that was 483 just for selling drugs to pharmacies that people actually had a legit need for. And doctors actually wrote legit prescriptions for, for their role in fueling the opioid crisis. Man. So it's going to be harder to get the meds that you need. It's going to be even more expensive because these companies don't lose money. And when they stop taking $200,000 from me every eight months, because I'm not here anymore. Who do you think they're going to take it from next? Because they already took $120 million from the Medicaid program in the state of Kentucky last year. Um, So who are they going to take it from besides the state and the and the actual patients themselves? Um, Because they're not in the business of losing money and they're coming after your primary care doctors. Because that's what their next move is, is they're putting telehealth kiosks and minute clinics and all of these things. And I don't know if they're trademark terms. I'm not saying that, you know one is worse than the other. Um, but now they're, you know, and GoodRx was doing the same thing. GoodRx takes money from us too. They were like the first ones in the game. Um, but they saw that pharmacies would still take it. And they were like, wait, we could do it too. So like GoodRx kind of fueled a little bit of this, but also like GoodRx is now doing good health or something like that, where they do telehealth for primary care. I'm, I'm all here for telehealth. I love it. It's great. COVID changed the game on it. But sometimes you need to listen to those lungs. Like sometimes you need to look in someone's ear and have a trained person doing it and not a parent sitting at a kiosk where their kids kicking and screaming and flailing around. So I, I don't see healthcare getting better. And I thought after 2020, and, and you know it still feels like March the 9,000th of 2020 mm-hmm. to us, um, I really thought that we would care more. Um, I really thought that the mm-hmm. government would step in and do more. And you can't regulate your way out of greed. I understand that. Um, But at the same time, these monopolistic approaches to it are just ruining everything. So, yeah. So
1: what, what would you advise someone listening, if it's a patient, someone who has a loved one who gets medications, or even a pharmacy student, a pharmacy worker, an intern, a a pharmacist. What advice do you give people to act now in helping to change the narrative, even if it's just a little bit?
0: So acute advice versus like how to help and movement kind of stuff. Um, one, if you're getting a medication, like know what medications you take, um, know what it is that they're for know what it's supposed to look like. Usually on every label, there's going to be like the imprint of what the pill is supposed to say and what color, especially if you don't have the ability or the option, which you should, um, to be able to know who your pharmacist is, know who packaged that medication, know anything about it. Um, look on there for the imprints, make sure it's the right thing. And if you have questions, don't take it, call someone and talk to someone. Um, if you can't, you know, get someone on the phone, walk into a pharmacy and be like, Hey, can you look up this pill for me? Um, try to probably do that at some independence because I don't know if, if very many CVS's and Walgreens have a lot of time to be able to do that. Um, be nice to your pharmacy workers and everyone in healthcare. It's been a heck of a two years. Um, and we're working with some stress that's placed on us from administrative and regulatory burdens that the general public doesn't know about. So be good humans. Um, and really like our, our goal is to educate and to empower people to really take control of their health. Like that's the whole vibe with us. Yeah. Um. So being able to like, before you give your kid a medicine, make sure that like, it's the one that was actually prescribed because there's a lot of medication errors that do happen when people don't have the time and the support to be able to check and make sure that everything's good. Um. And if it seems, you know, a little bit off, something's weird. And I mean, they taught us that in pharmacy school, like do your common sense check. If it doesn't, you know, if your kid doesn't need, 30 mls of a, you know, steroid liquid, um, always ask and make sure that a mistake wasn't made. So that would be like acute advice, like to care for you and your, and your people be good humans and double check and make sure everything's good and like really learn about your health and why you're having to take this. Um, as far as how to help, (laughs) um, it's hard to, to change an industry that has all the money in the world. It's, it's hard, like the powers that patients and pharmacy owners and pharmacists and pharmacy workers and students that everyone is up against. I mean, they fund everything. So the powers that there are, they're pretty big. Um, I think the first thing is that every state has a department of insurance. And so being able, if, if your medical insurance tells you and your prescription, like PBM insurance tells you that you have to go here, or have to go there. There's a, a law that says any willing provider And so you could call up the Department of Insurance and you could say, hey, I am being forced to go here against my will. What can you do about it? Um, If you have employer-sponsored insurance talking to your employer HR person and say, hey, I don't like the fact that we have to go here, that we have to go there, Um, is there not some other option? that would be a choice. Um, I wouldn't really look too much at the good RX stuff, but with it, there's some other companies that do actually not penalize pharmacies that also save people money. Um, like XRX is a good one. So go into like your independent pharmacies, go into, you know, your places, take us some cookies if you want. Pizza is not working, but cookies might. Um, I'm crying. Right. Yes. Um, so, but with it, yeah. Um, so ask them like what the resources are for us we just rolled out um because medicare part d and the advantage plans like the co for the stuff they're charging 28 dollars for a generic we make the cheapest generic drugs in the world like they're here so before your doctor has you on a brand medication that costs a ton of money ask if there's not like a generic or something that doesn't drive up the cost of healthcare and doesn't take more money out of your pocket, that could also work for you. So, and not from like a really crappy, like, Oh, I don't know if you're doing the right thing, but just like, Hey, that's a brand drug. That's going to be pretty expensive. Is there a way that like, we could do a generic or try something different to see if it could help us. Um, I think if pharmacists could transition to medication, like therapy and optimization. Instead of just managing your meds, like if we could optimize it, like how many people are diabetic that don't take, you know, metformin. And if it did cause stomach upset, did you do an extended release formula? Okay, well, did you know that there's a compound that's like a cream that you can put on that's also metformin that can help? So being able to like use the knowledge and skill set that we have of being trusted by patients and knowing everything that there is to know about medicine um, being able to employ those skills um, would be a great way for pharmacists to transition and to work really closely with primary care offices because they don't have time to do all of their stuff that they required either, like the annual wellness visits and you know chronic care management and all of that. It's, it's available, but they don't have time for it. So having us really being able to get involved in that, if I was a pharmacy student um, or an intern or somebody like that, I would look really heavily at being able to be a consultant pharmacist, um, going to primary cares, getting familiar with like annual wellness visits, chronic care management, remote physiological monitoring is a great time. Um, being able to look at how to have actually great patient outcomes um, and really just educating yourself in what kind of a value you bring to a primary care office. They did a study, um, and I think they said that, that adding a pharmacist into a primary care increased the revenues by $67,000 in a year. So, like, you can actually also get really great customer, like, or not customer, but like patient care all that good stuff, you can actually help them. And then if they had someone in there that was really trained to the pharmacist level about your medications and how to optimize that, um, you wouldn't have to do the prior authorizations and all the things. So talk to your doctor about if that brand medicine is really, really what you need. Um, And then look at cost plus pharmacy options. And so that can be your independence. Um... Mark Cuban's company, they've got, you know, an online thing. So it's kind of cool because instead of having to call around and ask about it, you know, you can see what the prices would be on there. So it's very transparent. Um, but talk to your employers and talk to, you know, the department of insurance, call the number on the back of your card and say, Hey, I don't want to go here. I want to go to my pharmacy and I want to have a relationship with my pharmacist. That's what I want to do. Um, and so with the department of insurance, you can always say, Hey, my, I feel like my health is being endangered. Like they're not doing what, you know, needs to be done. Um, and then I think for us as professionals, being able to stand up to it, um, and just be like, no, we're not willing to do it. Like you've seen the store closures, you've seen, you know, how the board of pharmacy reacted to, you know, if they're doing something unethical, now a pharmacy is able to, you know, be sanctioned and to be disciplined. Um, but I think continuing to put pressure, on the companies that are doing this for metrics and then like tell your friends, tell your family, everybody talks about health when they're outside. Like when you're out eating at some restaurant, like I can't go anywhere without hearing somebody talk about, well, my diabetes or my this or my that. Um, but no, there's coupons that you can use. There's all kinds of stuff. So I would say getting involved in a cost plus pharmacy, um, option model. If you take generics, do we really need to take the brands? Get with either a pharmacist, talk to your doctor, talk to somebody about the medications that you do take. Um, and then for me, I'm also a naturopath. So we focus a lot on, you know, is it diabetes? Is it because of pancreatic insufficiency and your pancreas doesn't make insulin? Or is it because your digestion's messed up and we don't have enough, you know, stomach acid and we've been on a proton pump inhibitor for 12 years? Um, or is it more we have insulin resistance to where your tissues have learned to not care? cool. Let's tailor that. And let's fix that the way that it needs to be. Um, so for me, I really love like pharmacogenomics and seeing what drugs are going to work for you based upon your DNA. I don't know why we don't do that every time like a child is born, like just get a basic genetic panel. It's like 20 bucks. Now the state pays for PKU. Like, why can't we just learn about their methylation capabilities when they're born? Um, that would be kind of cool. And so I think there's going to be some really cool stuff. Unfortunately, from the public health perspective, I don't think that it's going to be available to people who can't pay for it. Um, And it's because of the system that these insurance companies have set up. And I think that's the biggest travesty to this is that's really the issue that I have with it is that people who can afford good care are going to get great care and people who can't afford great care are not going to be able to get it. And that's what bothers me the most is that in, in this country, you would think that with all of the support pieces that we have in place, there would be something that could be done. So I think just be loud and be vocal and advocate for it and say, Hey, like, here's what I want. You want your certain doctor, you want your certain pharmacist, you want a certain level of safety and a certain level of care given to you when you get your medications and you deserve that. Like that's a fundamental human, right? You should be able to take medicine in the United States without worrying about if the pharmacist had a heart attack afterwards, after they filled it, Um, or if they were too distracted at the drive-through. Also don't support businesses that undermine entire professions. That would be my other one, yeah. Wow,
1: Jess, thank you so much for taking the time to unpack and dissect this topic for us today. This story comes from a former Ohio CVS pharmacist. They said, I left CVS after 21 years of service. I was exhausted. I continually worked over my scheduled hours without pay to meet demand and complete daily tasks. I found myself not eating or going to the bathroom because there simply was never any downtime to do so. The work environment is no longer safe for patients. We are expected to do too much with too little staff, causing errors that could result in harm or death to a patient. My choice to leave was strictly based on corporate decisions and not on my leader or my coworkers. I believe CVS no longer cares about its employees, but only its bottom line. Money is not why I became a pharmacist. Thank you to that person who submitted your story. We need to hear more from you guys. We want to share these stories so more people are aware of what's going on in the world of retail pharmacy. That wraps up today's episode of the hashtag Pizza Is Not Working podcast. There are three ways to get involved with Pizza Is Not Working, all of which have URL links with detailed instructions in the show notes for how to do just that. Number one, join your state's Pizza Is Not Working branch either publicly or anonymously. Number two, submit a public or anonymous story or spotlight to be read on the show. And number three, apply to be a potential guest for this show. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just hope that you didn't burn the roof of your mouth with this one. Again, this is your host, Dr. Candice Olushela, Closing Up Shop. Until next time, Peace.